Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Kevin, it's a lovely Wednesday afternoon. How are you? I'm good. I spent like my brain power doing some nice stats, diving into the Suns clutch numbers this morning. And now I'm like looking at frog memes and comparing them to Mikel Bridges. So I've really devolved here, but we're going strong. Quite the week, quite the week ahead of us, and it is only Wednesday. Um, Kevin, has one of your friends ever scrubbed their Instagram account before? Have you ever seen that happen? <laughs> I have not seen that. It's not crazy. Not a friend, Kellen, but some people I've seen. It's crazy, man. It's like, it's obviously a cry for help. So you're like, am I supposed to be the person who helps that cry? Like, who is who? Is anyone messaging them? Should I be that person or am I going to be like one of 17 people to be like, are you okay? But isn't that what they want in the first place because they're scrubbing their Instagram? You know, just normal things that come up in every day-to-day life, Kevin. Anyway, yeah. uh, the Phoenix Suns have won three straight since we last recorded. They have won six straight overall. The stat that I detailed after Orlando's win on the win over Orlando on Saturday was that now after the win last night against the Clippers, I believe they're 20 and two since the turn of the new year, since that 11 a.m. start loss in Boston. I proposed, I didn't flat out say it, but I kind of just said last year that Oklahoma City loss, that terrible Oklahoma City loss felt like a real turning point for them at eight and eight. And I, I don't rule this as a turning point necessarily because I think last year's like absolutely without a doubt was. I don't say this is a turning point, but in terms of them finding another gear and hitting their stride, I think this has been the run for them. Even if they won 18 games in a row, I think this is where they've done it. Their offense in particular has been pretty nutty. Uh, they only scored 103 points against the Clippers last night, which we can get into because the Clippers do the switchy stuff and that bothers them like it did in the Western Conference Finals. But something like their offensive rating, Kevin, like around 118 in these last 22 games. Uh, Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson contributing a lot more offensively has certainly helped with that. Um, and it just seems like they are – it's beyond that they're a well-oiled machine, Kevin. It's that they are a well-oiled machine that keeps getting better. And that is the main theme that I've used throughout this season because I think that's the most important thing for a contender is to improve over the course of the season and not stagnate. And I think they keep improving. Yeah, and to that point, um, they added two guys into the system. Obviously, Torrey Craig knew it already, but just how he's played very briefly, I know it's brief, just reminds you of how important he was, how easily he fits in, how important depth is, because the last few games, you know, they had enough injuries where it was noticeably, what, podcast ago we were talking about chris paul devin booker's mints need to get knocked down a bit um now that looks a lot more doable just because they have more guys who can play in the rotation um and so i think that's another part of this evolution is they were clicking on all cylinders but now you throw new pieces in and see how those work and it looks pretty good so far 
It really does. Um, the Clippers game last night was pretty interesting just because even with the guys that the Clippers had out, it was the fact that Ty Lue had his switching scheme. He had his guys who knew how to do it, and it really bothered the Suns for at least a quarter. Um, Book scored 13 of his 22 of the Suns' 22 points in that first quarter, and they kind of needed that to say the least before the offense sort of got things figured out in the last, in the middle two quarters before closing out the game late. And the Craig and holiday part is pretty fascinating. Cause I, I tweeted it last night. It's funny how Monty likes to bring Torian as the small ball five on defense when it warranted it for like clutch time situations. He liked doing that last year and it's been less than a week with Tori being back and he's already doing that again. He did it against the Clippers here with the offense-defense subs uh, because DeAndre obviously is a very good defender and rarely puts money in a situation where he needs to do that. But when it is a switch-heavy scheme or they want to switch absolutely everything, it can be Tory in there. And then if you switch everything, like who are you really targeting in the end? It's it's not really going to work out for you that well. If you spend nine seconds getting like Chris Paul switched on your ball handler, it's like, okay, well, it's still Chris Paul guarding the ball. That's still a pretty good outcome for the Suns. So that part was interesting. And then, of course, Kevin, I I cannot remember for the life of me. I I remember, I know from covering a team now for five or six years, the excitement a fan base gets when someone new comes in. But the, we are a great team, but we don't have one good player. And we traded for a player who could replace that not good player excitement is something to behold because these these folks, Kevin, they love some Aaron Holiday because he could play in place of Albert Payton potentially. And he, he showed last night exactly kind of what he's about. Um, it, was, it was all over the place, Kevin. I think the main thing that I wrote about and talked about in our last episode was that you get catch and shoot threes. You get a little bit of floaters in terms of like the offense slash scoring. And then defense, you just get a lot of grit, hustle, and just speed um, at, his, at his size, which is the detriment and where you wonder if that becomes an issue or not. But in terms of watching him on a day-to-day basis, which we're going to get into, Kevin, that's where you see like, oh, like he's just going to blow up a canard off-ball action to force a turnover. Oh, he's going to protect the rim twice in transition. Um, it was really exciting to see him kind of in there. And then, of course, if the offensive notes that I mentioned are consistent, we see the impact that he can make everywhere else. Yeah, it's interesting because you made kind of a – I don't remember what you said last pod about Javon Carter – um, just his energy and making up for a lack of size. And, you know, he's been playing, um, Aaron holiday has been playing off the ball. Just, I'm assuming just to get him integrated to not put pressure on him running the offense. So he's been alongside Alfred Payton, but he can, he can, he can be a combo Kevin. And I think that, yeah. I think that it's also one of those things where he is a combo because he's not like a floor general by any means. So it's, it's, it's a two-way street, I guess, is the right way to phrase it. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I'm taking that as <clears throat> maybe he does do combo stuff. Maybe uh, they're him in. Yeah. But, like, if he's going to be able to make enough plays on defense, make open shots, and bring a little off-ball, or off-ball playmaking, maybe some actual lead guard stuff, then he actually is more what – Landry Shamit, they thought he was going to be. He's going to be closer to campaign where you can play him in either spot. So that's a really interesting development that I hadn't thought of where you can actually play him off the ball because he can survive on defense just on his energy and effort and all that stuff. So, um, 
yeah, I, I think he couldn't have had much better, you know, a couple games start here. We'll see, but there's also more off the bounce stuff um, that he hasn't showed that I think he has more capability than. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the pull-up numbers, the pull-up shooting numbers for him aren't great, but again, it numbers are one thing and seeing him take that pull-up three confidently and the way that it looked is, is another thing. And when you get a guy with confidence and like the sound mechanics and all that kind of stuff is there, and it's just the repetition and the consistency of the shot going in. Sometimes all it takes is like the right place. And that's the luxury the Suns are afforded in their situation where they are the right place for pretty much anyone to play right now. So a guy like him can come in and there can be a part of his game in his fourth NBA season that hasn't come together. And it has. This is what we just talked about with Landry Shamit, Kevin, a couple months ago. So I don't want to get too ahead of myself here with the uh, combo guard that the Wizards gave away for nothing just so they could pay a little less money. Um, but I do, I do want to say that it is very, uh, evident how he could potentially help this team and be a guy, uh, when, when Mike Prada, uh, we mentioned him last episode when he replied to me, he said like, yeah, like he could be a guy who like swings a random playoff game or whatever. I thought that he was kind of getting ahead of himself there from my perspective of under starting to understand what holiday does. But once I saw it in a full game, like Mike has for a hundred and like not 150, cause he was on the Pacers before, but for 60 wizards games, 40 wizards games, I can exactly see what he means now where it's just, he makes 15 plays and three of them are on the stat sheet um, in, in a Tory Craig kind of way, but as a smaller guard um, that, that show up there. And I think that, I, was it you, Kevin, that was like, well, this kind of gets interesting here if he's a guy who could play in Shamit's spot, right? Like if it, because look, it, Shamit's main strength right now is is defense. It's not offense. So if Holiday comes in and starts to knock shots down, he's the he's the better defender of the two, I think. So I, I think that that's where it starts to get pretty spicy and interesting in terms of where Holiday's role could legitimately be one, like where he's playing playoff minutes potentially. Yeah. And again, there was that, I think he drove along the baseline pump fake drove along the baseline and threw like a half across the court bounce pass to find Alfred in the corner that one, you have to trust that a new teammate that you haven't played with a lot is, is going to be in the right spot, but two, just like that awareness and that comfort in doing that semi-advanced play is something that like, again, Shamit has not shown the, I don't know if it's just he doesn't have those plays ever because he's not explosive or he doesn't make those advanced plays off the bounce with passes, but it's just a lot of little stuff like that where it's like there's a little more to this guy. Like, do we say he passes the Aaron Holiday test or he fails the Aaron Holiday test? I don't remember how we use this, but anyway. He he, yeah. he failed the Aaron Holiday test. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I noticed we, it. Lots of little things. Because he was a 20-point-per-game guy on the ball, and we never saw this off-ball stuff, you know? Yeah. Like, like this is back to when Booker was in his second year with the Suns. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't know if he could be a good defender because we couldn't see him in a situation on a good defense where he could exude his energy on that end. It's like the same kind of thing. Yeah, that's a good point. And just, like, his energy, because he knows, like, okay, I got 10 minutes to, you know, like you said, blow up a play – be physical. If I foul, I foul. Like he, he doesn't care right now. And I think he's just trying to show Monty that he can play a few minutes here or there. But to what you're saying, and just off of like a very early, early introduction on what he does, 
And maybe this was just because he, based on like what I've seen and heard about him, and this is not the case, and this is pretty much who he is, but he is a very go, go, go player. Like when he, when he got that lob to JaVale, it was because he attacked the closeout immediately. He did not wait for a half second, quarter of a second to see what was happening. He just went. And there was like a moment or two offensively or defensively where he kind of got stuck behind Kennard in that way that we would see Javon get stuck, Kevin, where it's like you're trying so hard defensively that you're actually hurting yourself a little bit with how much you're going around the corner at full speed and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then like even even on that pass to Peyton in the corner, I thought that was one where he kind of got himself in trouble hanging um, hanging in the air under the basket. It was a, it was a good pass and a good play. But it was also one of those where, like, he didn't he didn't even need to jump there. <laughs> he just yeah. he just like, and he got himself caught in the air twice passing, and like one time he nearly turned it over as well. And that's the kind of thing where that to me, with what you were saying about Shamit, is the difference. Shamit is not that kind of aggressive at all. He's on one end of the spectrum, and Holiday is on the other, where he is that aggressive all the time. So, which guy can get towards the middle quicker is going to be the thing to watch over the next month assuming that because holiday is the guy working from behind right now he has to prove like offensively that he can bring that value and then defensively that his size cannot be a liability because if shamish just does what he's supposed to if, if holiday does what he's supposed to right now like he's a fine like third guard or whatever right like the fifth guard on the roster technically but if shamish does everything he's supposed to do he's the seventh most important guy on the team so it's it's an obvious like discrepancy that we're talking about but i think that that is suddenly turned into a thing to monitor over the next couple of weeks. And like, even like tonight, a game against Houston is a really nice opportunity for holiday. If they, if they take care of business here and just want to get to the all-star break and take care of this by halftime against a bad team, it's a game where again, he could maybe get like 18, 19 minutes, kind of like Torrey Craig did the other night, kind of like how in that first half of the Clippers game holiday got, I believe like seven, eight minutes out there with that group. Uh, and that's like the situation you t- take advantage of. And I, Kevin, remember last year, our big thing was Kaminsky and Dario, right? And it was like, at what point do you switch to Kaminsky so you're not just switching in the middle of the playoffs? And remember, Monty made that call with about like a week or two left in the season. He put Kaminsky in as the backup, and he was the backup. And then it just kind of switched back to Dario anyway, so it didn't really matter. Um, But at, at a certain point, It'll be like there are decisions to be made once we get to late March, early April. And I and that is one of them now that we have to add to our list. And I did not have on our list 24 hours ago, Kevin. No, it's interesting. It's good to have options. It is good to have options, buddy. Speaking of options, um, so we wanted to kind of do like a midseason award check-in, kind of dish out some awards for the team. We've done this many years on the podcast, and instead of kind of rapid fire doing all of them like we typically do, just wanted to take a couple of minutes here to talk about who we think is the most valuable on the team, and in that way, in multiple options words, uh the two that the Suns have and everyone looking at MVP and all this kind of stuff. And we're going to spend just like this week's episode hitting on that right now. And then next week we'll get into a a couple of other categories. So assuming tonight, uh, Kevin, I think no matter what tomorrow I'm going to run it uh, unless Devin shoots one of 19 tonight, uh, that would be something for him to have his worst career shooting night ever. When I say like, Hey, I'm going to run a story tomorrow on how you should be an MVP candidate. Uh, that's what I have coming. And 
essentially, I don't think you you have yet to read it, Kevin, but essentially what my case is and something that you and I have talked about on this podcast a lot when it comes to Devin or Chris being the most valuable on this team, I was more in the camp of Chris last year before slowly but surely making my way towards it being book. Um, and then this year, I think I'm even in the more, more of the camp of it being book this year. Because essentially what I looked at, Kevin, through books, even better first quarter scoring this year than any other uh, year for him and, and for the way that the team is succeeding through his success in the clutch and his efficiency in the clutch. That's the huge jump compared to last year in the clutch uh, shooting and then through his defense where this has been his best year as a defender. I don't think it's this big dramatic jump, just like last season when everyone was like, Devin Booker is such a great playmaker now. It's like, oh, well, he was, he started really improving as a defender like three years ago, and it's been an incremental jump. And now he's legitimately a positive and a plus on the defensive end. And I think all three of those areas help Chris Paul in a way where I don't think we would be able to see this version of Chris Paul and the Suns if it were not for Devin Booker. So I think that people look at it like Chris Paul is setting up Devin Booker in all these situations and helping him. And that is true. But I think you don't get these fourth quarter dominances without Chris Paul. If Devin Booker wasn't dominating first quarters, the way he is in a first quarter, Kevin, where the sun's net rating in the first quarter is their best of any quarter Uh, in clutch time. Chris Paul has taken 39 shots. Book has taken 33. It's been an even split. Chris hasn't had to take 90 of those shots compared to the next highest being like 40 something. Uh, like it was in Oklahoma City. Uh, and then on defense, Mikel is taking the primary guy. But then if the second guy is up, Book's taking that guy, not Chris. So like, if anyone is hidden on this team, it's Chris, even though he's not. Uh, and then I asked Monty about it last night about Book's defense. And he went as far as to say like he thinks like Book should at least be like talked about for all defense. And I think that more goes to the argument that like everyone on their team in the starting five should be talked about for all defense just because of how good all five of them are defensively. But I mean, that is that is my podcast version of like kind of the starting argument I have for book as MVP that I'll be having coming out tomorrow. I'm not making the case that he should be MVP. I'm saying that he should be in the conversation and here and here is here is why, because it feels like the argument hasn't been made anywhere yet beyond like the Suns have this many wins and Devin Booker is the best player on this team. So here's why. And it's like, well, he's the best player on this team. And this is why, because he actually helps their leader. And they if some people feel that he's their best player, actually, He's our best player because he helps there da, 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 like that. You know, you know, Kevin, that's what I say. So my my midseason MVP is is book, and I anticipate it being that way through the full year because we already are. We're like now 60% of the way through the year, but yeah, uh he he's my guy. Yeah. I, I think I was more book last year, and it's it's really theoretical in like a if book didn't exist, Chris Paul would be worn down. He his clutch numbers wouldn't be as much. Um He'd be carrying a bigger load. He might get hurt more. I think he allows Chris Paul to be at his best. Um, and there are a lot of layers to it. Like, I think nationally, if you ask or you pulled like national analysts or people who are talking heads, they would just say Chris Paul because he was obviously the addition last year. And I think that's kind of lazy, even though there's a lot to be said about the leadership stuff. Um, but But it's a really fun discussion because like, you look at the odds right now in FanDuel, they're like completely even between those two guys um, and what they're tied with DeRozan for the sixth best. Um, And look, I don't, I'm kind of like of the, when Steve Nash won his, 
if you remember, there were times when he was hurt and the team just looked like it was trash um, and they would have to survive until he came back. To me, that's more like what MVP is. To me, like, if the Sixers lose Joel Embiid, like, they're going to look bad. I know they looked bad last night with him, but they're going to look real bad. They're going to lose their identity. Um, so I just think that the fact that the Suns have two guys in the conversation kind of lessens either of their chances to get MVP um, because I think the Suns are still really good um, with one of those guys if you go either way. And I think that kind of is my definition of MVP. So that's kind of where I am, but I I'm with you on the book. Doesn't get enough for being this team's best player. Doesn't get enough for the defensive improvements. And again, this year he's doing it in the regular season when I think we, we gave him credit last year, but I think it's improved. And I don't think it's just that he did it in the playoffs and now we're paying more attention. I think he really has gotten better. Yeah, I think – do you remember when Durant went to the Warriors and it was like, oh, my God, is this guy like the best defensive player in the league? You know what yeah. I mean? Like it, it's not that level, obviously, but it is one of those things where now that Chris Paul is here, it's like this guy can defend, and now he's really picking up on like the winning habits and everything, and I think Durant obviously had those in OKC. But for my casual perspective on Kevin Durant, that was my impression, and I think that – for people watching book defend last year, watching him book on national TV this year, and then they're, they're going to watch him again in the playoffs this year. They're going to think like he's, he's a good defender. And then they're kind of just like, Whoa, like, look at that. Like he can really defend who knew. Um, and it's, it's been something that's been here. And, and I think that the, the further, the little, I, I don't really divulge on it that much in the piece. I just say one line where it's like, this is not a situation where, you know, like, Nash and you can just go through MVP winners and candidates of like the last 20 years that are, that are guards on the perimeter, Kevin, and they're, they're hidden on defense. Like, like Steph, they golden state hides Steph. Um, that is not something that book does. And it is because it's a benefit to Chris Paul, first of all, but second of all, it's because like he doesn't care and he wants to compete anyway. Yeah. And he just never runs out of energy in a game. I think that he gets, he obviously gets tired and we do see those moments where he's like, he's worn down, but does he like run out of steam? I don't think he ever really does run out of steam, at least like at these types of lengths. Now, like in the finals of game six last year, that's a different kind of story. Like he's toast, of course, like everyone else was, but at like this stage, cause I asked Monty about, it's funny. I started writing this yesterday before the game. And then he makes the biggest play of the game last night, which was the closeout on Kennard, jams him in the corner because Kennard just caught the ball like a tiptoes football catch, like in the corner, not stepping out of bounds. And Booker was like, oh, I'm going to make sure you can't move now. <laughs> and then Kennard is like, oh, crap. And then he just like hurls it down the court right at Jay Crowder, uh, right in Jay Crowder's vicinity. Booker sprints from that corner 90 feet. Um, to catch a lob. And it, it's funny because he not only like catches up to his teammates in that sprint, but then he just like goes past them eventually um, into this like open wing that's there. Cause I think Mikel described it as something like kind of just like thinking like, Oh, I think Chris is going to take a layup. And then he looked to his left and book was flying through the air. Yeah. Um, and those are just the plays that he makes. He makes all the time. Um he just makes those plays all the time. And I think that they've become a lot more consistent in the last year because something that stood out for me watching last year's team 
the clip that I always think of is there's a defense to there's an offense to defense clip where Langston Galloway and Javon Carter are in and they're they're in both corners and off of a miss they both sprint back and then I just kept watching the team and I was like these guys are doing it and Tory Craig's doing it and like Cam Johnson's doing it but but Book is doing it too like right along with Mikel and and DeAndre and all these guys as well and and Chris does it too it's it's just really remarkable how if you want to like put on our talking head hats Kevin and, and get your narrative suit on like he's being a leader Kevin this is what leaders do they lead by example and he's running and stuff um but yeah I, I think I think that's there I, I honestly think Kevin the only thing for his case MVP wise is just the numbers right like it's funny how if he just was averaging 28 points per game at 25 it would be a lot easier to do this but I mean that's just the reality of what he's in and his situation right now and how he's completely fine with averaging a couple less assists and a couple less points per game because we all know that if this was a team where he was the do-it-all guy offensively, he would be averaging like 28 points and like seven assists right now a game at least. But that's not it right now, and they're winning games, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, and you know, Kellen, what leadership is is not scrubbing your Instagram account and also <laughs> blowouts. Um, so, oh, yeah. Anyway. What do you, what do you think – so was the, was the person – was the source that Mortensen got just waiting for the opportunity the last couple of years to finally roast Tyler. And it was just like, okay, this Instagram scrubbing is, is being made a deal of, let me take this as my opportunity because this, in my opinion, this wasn't a story until Mortensen's report. And then that made it a story and that made everyone dive in. And now we got the Garofolo report and now it's like a full blown thing. Yeah. Do you do you think someone was just like someone in the Cardinals office who doesn't like him or the consensus of like he's not liked in that room, whatever it is, like those people finally felt like they wanted to be vocal? I OK, my without giving away what I think about whose people's sources are, <laughs> I think that the social media scrubbing was a nothing and then it sparked people asking questions. And if you ask enough questions about how he's viewed, it's the same thing we've heard and observed and guessed is he's probably not super well-liked by certain people. Like uh, he, he's a weird guy. Like that's he's just, always been a weirdo, man. It's always yeah. been a weirdo. And so if teammates were rubbed the wrong way, then they probably have these opinions about him. I don't think it was like, everyone's trying to like, look at these weird, like, wow, the Cardinals put this out about him. I'm like, I don't, I don't think it's anyone doing it for any agenda. I think it's just people sharing opinions. That's what I think. Anyway. Yeah. I, yeah. We shouldn't go on any longer on our Phoenix Suns podcast, but yeah. Uh, Kevin, you know what I like more than, uh, average general managers and below average head coaches is quarterbacks that my franchise has never seen before. (laughs) That's what I like. So if we have to pick, um, let's pick the slightly immature uh, once in a generation quarterback. Yeah. Not a once in a generation league wide, but once in a generation for the Cardinals to get this guy, because it literally has been a generation Kevin, since they've had a quarterback like this. Figure it out. Like, Go have a conversation with him. It's a two-way street, too. Come on. Isn't it fun that uh, Devin Booker never had this happen and never made this a thing that happened? And isn't it also fun that we never had to talk about it on here? Like, if we had to talk about that kind of stuff on here, 
Like oh. we, we made, we just made goat poop jokes and moved on, you know, that was the extent of it. Yeah. It was mostly like the transactional on court stuff. We didn't have to talk about uh, why his, uh, why did the Cardinals scrub theirs too? If this was a thing, like I, I, I mean, assumed, it, that, I assumed it was a joke together. Like they were both in on it. We had, I didn't want to be, I don't want to be here. We had that. Does that count? Uh, we d- yeah, that does kind of count. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, there are other examples. People are yelling uh, as they drive down I-10 right now, too. So I don't know. Well, that's not very valuable, Kevin. And Devin Booker is. <laughs> <laughs> we, should we? We shouldn't belabor the the year Chris is having, though, right? Do you think he's been better this year than last year? I think yeah. that he has. Yeah, that's the thing, too. It was like I was pretty sure on the Devin more important kind of last year and it was it's it was close and then this year it's like i I think he's better but i think chris paul's better too i don't i don't know it's it's a fun convo like it's not like you're stupid because you have a different opinion than me it's like a legit i don't really know the answer combo i don't either man i I just know that it's it's one of those it's like it's the confluence of factors i guess but it's like having these two guys operating the way that they are makes it so conducive to Cam Johnson having a better year and Mikel Bridges having a better year. And I hate when we take an individual player's achievement or work and credit someone else for it. But I will say that those guys are doing it in winning basketball on the best team in the NBA and improving naturally and organically like that in in the best way possible and not on like terrible teams or whatever, um, or not even on like really good teams or average teams, they're able to do it in this type of basketball because of those two guys. Um, And, and I think that they're one in the other, you know, it's, it goes away uh, if one of them is gone, obviously. So it's a pretty special thing. They got cooking here, Kev. Um, And, and boy, are we are we lucky to uh, to talk about it? Uh, Cam Johnson to make the three point contest. We didn't talk about that. How stupid was that? I don't even know who's in it. Uh, Luke Kennard's in it. Uh, that was the big name that everyone was yelling about in terms of Cam not being in it. I mean, the three point contest is whatever, but I I think in terms of where the Suns have placed themselves in notoriety and being well-known across the league and Cam having the postseason that he did last year from a national like perspective of people knowing who he is now and knowing that he's a good player. I thought that that would favor him and getting like the nod in a situation like this, but I don't even know how they determine like three point contest people. Like they obviously don't sort by percentage because it would have been Cam. Do you remember just go ahead. The Quinn Richardson said basically like he wasn't going to get in, in what? Oh, five. And Steve Nash was like, I'm not doing the skills contest. Oh, yeah. Do <laughs> Rick in the three point. And he basically like forced the NBA's hand and they're like, okay. Like, I, I guess Book and CP weren't in like the skills contest to try to do that. But that, that was a funny, like, how the politicking works. I, I think if Chris still was like president of the Players Association and he was like more in on like a couple of these conversations than he is now, then maybe that would have changed a little bit or he would have gotten like an initial list given presented to him. And he would have been like, what Adam, Adam, I'm not showing up to that charity event unless something like that, unless something like that happens. All right. Well, 
that is all-star Saturday night, which the Suns don't have anyone competing in, which I'm surprised to see, but Monday, Sunday should be fun. Um, <laughs> I mean, the all-star game is what it is. It was extremely fun that first year when uh, they implemented Elam ending and all that kind of stuff. And it got crazy. And I think what I'm hoping for Kevin is a close game because I believe just looking at uh, Devin Booker's team, at least that he is, he would be one of the five guys on the court for them. I believe that he would be one of those guys. And that's always like a cool little moment to see who's out there when the all-star game is on the line and see the guys on the floor. And usually it's like the big, it's the biggest and the baddest of the bunch. And he's, he's up there with them. So That'll be fun because he's playing against Chris Paul and against Monty Williams. I'm sure those guys will have banter and share it. Um, but I won't hear about it, Kevin, because I'm, I'm taking a couple of days. Um, I'm you taking deserve. a break as a break, brother. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Take a break. Do you have any plans, grand plans? So there's like a laundry list of like eye appointments and doctor's appointments and stuff that I've been like putting off that I was putting off until last off season. And then I was so tired after summer league that I just never got to it. Cause I'm lazy. Uh, and I was just going to go do them. And then I just got a call like right before we uh, recorded that one of these people, um, one of my appointments got canceled because the doctor got sick from something called coronavirus. Kevin, have you heard about it? There's this thing still going around. Uh, people have yeah. things on their head. What's going on? Why, why can't I see anyone's face anymore? Um, so yeah, I, that's how I'm going to be spending the time. You, you know, me, no, no vacay, wow. no, nothing like that, but we're just going to relax, get a lot of things done around the house that we've been putting off to get ready for this, uh, three, four, hopefully five months that we've got. Well, I'm glad you're taking care of yourself. Thank you, pal. Thank <laughs> you. I, I know you will take care of yourself too, by looking at every tweet that Kyler Murray has favorited since 2016. <laughs> Because that's what we're doing now. No. Yay. Content. 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 I need some days off. You're right. Good point. Okay. (laughs) Yes. I I have overcome and I've I've made it off. Yes. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoy All-Star Weekend and all that kind of stuff. We will be back next week to talk about that and talk about coming back from the All-Star Weekend and back into more of those awards, like we said. Uh, Until then. Bye.